This episode of The Sweaty Penguin is brought to you by the abandoned parking lot behind Target. Do you just need to get away from Thanksgiving dinner? Try the abandoned parking lot behind Target today. One word in the Glasgow Climate Pact nearly tore the entire negotiation apart, and surprisingly, it wasn't haggis. Good Friday morning, and happy belated Thanksgiving. I'm Ethan Brown, and this is Tip of the Iceberg, where I will break down some environmental news and then answer a question from one of our listeners on the air. If you have a question about the latest environmental news, about a past episode, any environmental question at all, you can send it in via Patreon, you can email it to sweatypenguinnews at gmail.com, you can even submit it on our social media. If you do join our Patreon, though, your question will go to the front of the line, so be sure to sign up at patreon.com slash thesweatypenguin. Phasing out coal versus phasing down coal. That's the word, not haggis that held up the final document of COP26, the UN Climate Change Conference in Glasgow, which wrapped up just a couple weeks ago. Nexus Media News reported top negotiators from China, India, the US, and EU, all men with ages ranging from 52 to 77, sat in a room off the main plenary hall where China reportedly threatened to tear apart the entire negotiations over the change. In all fairness, this was the same demographic that plays golf, is rude to food service employees, and makes jokes about hating their wives, so expecting them to solve the coal crisis may have been asking too much of them. Coal is the primary energy contributor in both China and India, supplying 57.7% of China's energy use and 56.9% of India's energy use. And ultimately, India was given the task of announcing to the world that the phrase phase out coal had been changed to phase down coal in that Glasgow climate pact. Many countries, including the Marshall Islands, Mexico, and Costa Rica, were furious, both because China and India would not commit to a phase out, which implies an end to coal, and because just China, India, the US, and the EU were in the room when the change was made, leaving countries such as the Marshall Islands, Mexico, and Costa Rica out of the negotiation entirely. I have to imagine those countries felt pretty down and out. Now, a lot of headlines and soundbites made this change out to be a disaster that turned an otherwise solid pact into something of a failure. And in this hemisphere, at least, China and India were getting blamed for it, particularly India, since they were the messenger. But let's be real here. First of all, I say it all the time, but these agreements are not enforced. They're like an 8 p.m. bedtime when you're six. It's fantastic if countries can agree to stronger language, but even if they agreed to phase out, there's no guarantee that a phase out would actually happen. A phase down puts the world on the same trajectory as a phase out, and next year or the year after, the language can be strengthened. 
Maybe phase across will be an option. And besides, these countries have agreed to cut their emissions. China and India both have announced carbon neutral targets to the world. So they have to eliminate coal or come very close to that and capture the remaining emissions if they're going to meet their targets. The word change is something. I'm not going to say it doesn't mean anything because it does. But let's not kid ourselves. You have to phase it down to phase it out. You can think COP26 was a success or a failure, but this detail, this one word, has no business being the source of all scrutiny. Especially scrutiny from historically wealthy nations in the Western world. I don't like to do the whole climate change is your fault, you fix it game. It very quickly turns into boomers and Gen Z pointing fingers at each other, and within two minutes is an argument about Kylie Jenner's Instagram stories. But I need to poke this bear just a little bit so you can understand this from the perspective of China or India. If we look at cumulative carbon dioxide emissions from fossil fuel combustion worldwide from 1750 to 2019, the grand total carbon emissions from every country. China ranks second with about 220 billion metric tons, and India ranks seventh with about 52 billion metric tons. The U.S. tops the list with nearly double that of China, 410 billion metric tons. Germany is ahead of India, the U.K. is ahead of India. Certainly, if you totaled up the entire EU, it would surpass both China and India. So China and India are coming to COP26 thinking, look, we know we're first and third in global emissions today, and second and fourth in takeout food, but we have not contributed to climate change nearly as much as the US and EU in the last 250 years, and that's not even taking into account that we have way more people than them. Now, we're going to help fix climate change. It affects us too. But unless you want to give us financing to do it your way, we're going to do it our way. Now, I don't want to treat the two countries like they're the same. I hate lumping them together here. I think there's some big differences, and not just the cuisine, shape, and general attitude toward TikTok. China's emissions are and have been way beyond India's, and India made a big splash early in the conference by announcing a national goal of carbon neutral by 2070, which I don't think people would have expected from them. But they did sort of get lumped together on this issue, because they are both emerging economies, and they are both countries that have cheap, easy access to coal. That's a majority of both of their energy portfolios. That's not the case in the US and EU, where oil and natural gas are the two leading fossil fuels, and coal is already expensive and efficient and largely going away on its own due to the forces of the free market. We might run out this year alone just with the number of people Santa has to send coal to this Christmas. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal? PewDiePie? Ercole Visconti from Luca? It's a long list. Environmentally speaking, coal is dirtier than oil and gas, and I don't just mean it'll fill you up under the COP26 conference table. 
Sure, coal can whiten your teeth for the low price of $7.95 per tube of My Magic Mud, but it's also the most carbon-intensive fossil fuel. It emits pollutants such as mercury, lead, sulfur dioxide, nitrogen oxides, and particulates. It produces coal ash, which ends up in our waterways. And it's linked to health impacts that range from asthma and breathing difficulties to brain damage, heart problems, cancer, neurological disorders, and premature death. It has a lot of problems, and there's a reason it was singled out the way it was at COP26. Zero out of five dentists or ecologists recommend. But you're China or India. You know the US and EU are historically larger emitters than you. You know they used to use coal, but have since transitioned away to oil and gas. You know coal is cheaper for you and you don't love it, but you're trying to grow your economy. And then a document is put in front of you to sign that says the world will phase out coal? Not phase out fossil fuels, not phase out oil or gas, but phase out coal and only coal? Yeah, I get why they didn't sign it. That's not to say there had to be a grand fossil fuel phase out. That would actually have quite a few cons, which I've covered in past episodes. But to demand an end to coal without, I don't know, phasing down oil and gas, or helping with financing, or making some other gesture, and then pointing fingers at China and India for disagreeing is a little short-sighted. They're not ignoring climate change. They did agree to phase down. But if we wanted more than a phase down from China and India, maybe we should have committed to a bit more ourselves. Do you hate your family? If so, the abandoned parking lot behind Target is for you. If you hide out in the abandoned parking lot at your local Target, you'll not only get to breathe in a bunch of truck fumes, but you can befriend all the Black Friday shoppers and get them to buy Christmas presents for you. Smart thinking. The abandoned parking lot behind Target. Wait, is that my drunk cousin walking by? Welcome back to Tip of the Iceberg. It's time for Ask Me Anything, where our listeners get a chance to ask me any environmental questions they may have. Submit questions on our Patreon, email, or social media. Questions from patrons go to the front of the line, so be sure to sign up today at patreon.com slash thesweatypenguin. Today's Ask Me Anything comes from Daniel Katzenberger, who asks... What, in your opinion, is the number one thing that any and every individual can and should do to contribute to ending the climate crisis? I love this question, Daniel, and it's a big debate in the environmental world. Can a single person's actions actually have an impact on the climate when the large majority of emissions come from just a handful of large companies? A lot of people say everyone needs to change their consumption patterns. A lot of people say any push to change our habits at all is just deflecting from the real problem of corporate emissions. And somehow I see people on social media saying both, which I don't quite understand. But in my mind, the way I see individual action being helpful is when it sparks conversation. Individual action just objectively doesn't make a big dent in climate change, and expecting every person on Earth to live within consumption patterns that you or I might come up with is silly. But if an individual action spurs community-level change, then it has some potential. 
so I can't really give one answer to your question, Daniel. But let's talk about individual actions that ripple out at the community level, or have the potential to ripple out. And for that, I'm going to give you a very quick five answers. 1. Find low-hanging fruit. If you have reusable grocery bags, bring them to the store. If you're not a big meat person, you can cut back on beef. If you're not a fashionista, you can wear your clothes out before buying new ones. Don't do something you don't want to do, because it's like dieting, you won't stick to it. But you can use the climate as extra motivation to do the good things you want to do. And sometimes there's creative options, too. If you love meat, see if there's eco-certified meat. If you love clothes shopping, you can thrift or you can go to higher quality stores and find items that will be in style longer and won't fall apart after two runs through the laundry. But seriously, there's no reason to try to be perfect. It's literally impossible to be perfect because every issue has so much nuance. So just do your best when you can and don't let yourself feel guilty if you need that ribeye. I know I do. Two, do research. Some so-called solutions are actually not good ideas. For example, if you have a gasoline-powered car that runs well, don't junk it for an electric one in the name of climate change. The emissions from your car will probably be way less than the emissions it takes to manufacture a brand new electric car. More than anything, climate change is about resource efficiency, not necessarily reducing consumption, just being efficient, being smart. So do some research, or better yet, listen to the sweaty penguin. You know we do our best to give you everything you need to know. 3. Uplift others who do good things. Look, can we chill out with the roasting vegans? I know you hate cashew cheese, but if they're willing to eat it, let them. Encourage them. They're helping the climate by doing it. Not only do we rag on vegans in the US, but a Johns Hopkins study revealed labeling a product vegan causes its sales to drop by 70%. So whether it's vegans or people who thrift instead of getting trendy new outfits or whatever, even if it's not an action you'd take, give them some encouragement. They'll certainly appreciate it. Four, use your voice. First off, you can vote local, state, and federal. But more than that, what can you do? How can you advocate? A lot of people's minds might jump to volunteering or attending a protest, and that's one way. But it might not be for everyone. It wasn't for me. I tried and didn't like it. But I am a writer and a storyteller. I was going to college for film and television. So I figured out ways to use that skill set, not even as an advocate per se, but as an informer for you all. And there's other ways too. Maybe you work at a company and you can push for some sustainable business practices, or even something as simple as organizing trash sorting in the kitchen. Maybe there's an environmental issue in your town you can rally people around, or connect to a regional organization that can come in and help you make a difference. There's no right answer here, but any way you can use your voice, small or large, is powerful. And five, and a lot of you may hate this one, but talk to someone you disagree with. The last time the U.S. passed sweeping environmental legislation was in the 1970s under a Democratic Congress and Republican Presidents Nixon and Ford. People were talking to each other, and they largely agreed on what the environmental problems were, even if they disagreed on solutions. Now, I'm not saying go argue with strangers on Facebook. The goal shouldn't even be to argue at all. 
Listen to some of our past bonus episodes with Christian and Matt or Leo and Valina. They have very different political views, but we chat about the environment. There might be some disagreements, but we have fun and we learn together. If you can find a way to create a comfortable and constructive environment where your goal is not to convince, but just to learn and have fun, I feel like it's a good thing. You can talk about anything, even sports or movies or books. It doesn't have to be environmental. I understand each side views the other as fundamentally immoral, and I'm not saying be friends with someone you hate or give a voice to someone you disagree with, but you can try listening, learn more about them, see if you have something in common. It sounds terrible, I know, and feel free to disagree with me on this, but seeing how essential bipartisanship was to our last batch of environmental policy, I really do feel like we have to start taking some baby steps back in that direction. So there you have it. Find low-hanging fruit, do your research, uplift others who do good things, use your voice, and talk to someone you disagree with. Five things any and every individual can do to contribute to ending the climate crisis. And I pick these five things because all of them have the potential to affect change at the community level, which is ultimately the biggest way we as individuals can make an impact. Thank you so much for the question. Thanks to all of you who listened to our second tip of the iceberg. Remember, you can get a shout out at the end of the show by leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Podcast Addict. That helps boost us in their algorithms. The other way to get a shout out is to join our Patreon, and you'll get not just a shout out, but merch, bonus content, a chance to win a signed book from one of our experts, and you can get your questions answered on Tip of the Iceberg. Head to Patreon dot com slash the sweaty penguin to unlock all that cool stuff and help grow the show we'll be back with a normal episode next week our next tip of the iceberg will be on christmas eve so be sure to tune in 